you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Electric People, what's up? We have a special episode today. I'm sitting here with Hart Logan, senior partner at Culture Sync and executive coach. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for being here today. It is awesome to be here. And yeah. I love your offices. They're phenomenal. Does it meet your standard? You have a design background, so this actually holds a little bit more weight. Oof. Or a branding background, I should say I say. Brand, I'm not so much the artist, but okay. I do appreciate fine design. But you understand if something doesn't fit or doesn't isn't on brand, I would say. Yeah, so I walk into your office and I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at what are your core values and how are they expressed mm. with the layout of the office. Really? So what do you get yeah. from this office? Uh, very team-oriented. Uh -huh. Strong level of competition, right? Definitely uh, sporty. Right, the basketball net, the golf, the fight yeah, yeah. all of that, the scoreboard. That's just a fight boredom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but it is. I mean, it yeah, is amazing, yeah. right? Because you feel the team energy, and yet within that team energy, you feel that like fierce competitiveness. Oh, that's impressive. You just walked in the room. I didn't even like. You had a couple minutes to look around. So, mm -hmm. the Orange County team, you guys passed the test. Your office passes the test. So, um, Hart, I'm excited to jump in. You, um, a lot of your skill set, and I think a lot of the the expertise that you have is going to be very helpful to both the guys that are uh, guys and gals that are leading teams and running this organization, and then even the people that are out there leading neighborhoods and and selling products and managing their head and emotions and all that kind of stuff. So, um, previously, you were in the advertising world, right? Mm -hmm. I was. That's where I started. Okay. And then uh, you worked with Disney, Activision, a handful of companies there. You ran a skincare company, so got an entrepreneurial background. Yes. And then um, you got your MBA from the Marshall School of Business at USC and coaching certification from Hudson Institute. I wrote down here, you blog, you brand, you consult, you coach, and you mom. <laughs> I do all those things. Yeah. I also do some training and education. Really? Yeah. Why not? Pile it on there, right? Let's do it. And now your your business primarily. So, um, what is Culture Sync? If you want to give people a, a background on that. Yeah, we're really a boutique consulting firm. Boutique consulting boutique, firm, which means we're tiny. Okay. You know, there's less than ten. But specialized. Us, but very right? specialized. So we're called Culture Sync because we synchronize your culture with your strategy. You can have the best strategy in the world. If you don't have a culture that supports it, you don't have a leadership that gets out of the way and enables it to happen, you're in big trouble. That is so, like, honestly, we jumped right into it because that's really profound. But I've seen that a lot. Like, um, so the sales teams that, that we run here, a lot of times um, the leaders will try to instill something and it won't work. It won't mm. go. It won't catch. So, for example, I, you know, I believe that all of these teams have to have their own identity, right? In order to like really come together and be unified and stuff. And so um, it's interesting because a lot of people come in and they're like, hey, I want this kind of team, I think. Like for example, if I were to say, I want a fiercely competitive team, I want them to mm -hmm. smash everybody. That actually is not my personality, right? My personality is more like unified, inclusive, more light and fun, but, but you know, be the best version of yourself. And so I see oftentimes people are trying to create um, visions or brands or teams that aren't in sync with their 
personal values. Like, mm. I feel like me running an ultra competitive smash everybody team wouldn't eventually work. Am I on there? You are spot on, absolutely spot on. <clears throat> Unless you have a team of ten people and they're all ultra competitive, smash everyone. Then I get out of the way. You get out of the way. Um, but the best leaders and the best teams actually start out with a conversation of what actually are our core values as human beings mm. and what resonates because they're never going to be exactly the same. You're speaking my language, Hart. We just met like 20 minutes ago and you're speaking my language. <laughs> but that's true, right? Like yeah. how could you, you know, like teams essentially are an extension of the leader generally, right? Like usually like culturally, all that, it's almost like, you know, in your home, right? Your home, probably if I were to hang out there and watch you and Dave, like parent your kids and stuff, I'd be like, okay, the core values they're teaching are just core values that are important to Hart and Dave, right? Like yeah. you're not trying to teach something you don't know anything about or that you're not like connected to personally. No, well, here's the crazy thing about core values. When they're really your core values, they're totally invisible to you. Hmm. It's just the way the world is. It's the way you see the world. And if you ever had that experience where someone does something and you you look at them and you're like, what planet are yeah. you from? In what world is In 2021, okay? a lot more often than before, I think. But honestly, like we get a lot more like divided information. We have a lot more specialized content. And so I feel like, yeah, that happens all the time where it's like, how could you possibly think that? Yeah. You know? Which is a great question, actually. Where are you coming from? Yeah. So you, you would say that if the core values that we have, so hard work, right? That obviously, yeah. that's just something that, that I love. It's a core value to me. A lot of people can't have a hard time identifying them because they don't see them as core values. They see them almost as like just truth or the way the world is. You got to work hard or else what are you doing? Yep. Interesting. So here's how one way to get to them is ask someone, tell me about your best day at work can be like your best day March 27th or it could be your best day in general when is a good day of work for you you're asking I'm me. asking you and I'm recommending people ask their teams yeah so um, I supervise West Coast sales teams that's my job mm -hmm. so my best day at work is generally when my senior directors and I are all in sync mm -hmm. when we're creating stuff mm -hmm. and we have these um, we have these metrics that break down our goals and we call them weekly wins mm -hmm. so if we're pacing for a weekly win mm -hmm. and we've brought new fresh blood to the business and we're jiving those days I feel like I'm not working yeah. I just feel like I, I would be doing this whether I was employed here or not. Like you people, I really like you. I choose to surround myself with you anyway. We brought new people and we're pacing for a win. That That's to me, that's just ultimate flow. Yeah. So you can hear creativity, innovation, connection with others. Best of the group. Hmm. Are these ringing any bells? hundred percent. Yeah, so you cracked me wide open. Yeah. And how long have we been going? Seven uh, minutes. There you cracked go. wide open. Some people aren't as transparent as you. So, a question that you can ask is to click down what is it about the pacing and meeting that sales goal that's so important to you? So you're helping you're helping people extract. Yeah. Well, let's keep going. Let's yeah, let's just let's role play. play. All right, I'll just be open to the world here. Um, what is it? about my meeting the sales goal that is important to me. Yeah. Okay. Pacing as a team, right? Yeah, yeah. You talked about the team meeting the goal. It's not just about you. Yeah. So I feel like if you're great, I feel like if you're if you're good at what you do, you can make money anywhere. So there's a certain point where everybody's earning money and earning a living and that's kind of taken care of. But pacing for the sales goal means I'm I'm 
in line with uh, my standard for myself. It means this is possible. I know it's possible. And it's one of those things where even if somebody else is doubling my production, if I'm ahead of my projection, I'm fine with that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's like the thing that makes me feel good about meeting my sales goals is I know I can, so I should. Mm. Does that make sense? Tell me more. What kind of issues are you conjuring? Oh, no issues. I'm really thinking about like values and what matters to you. So I'm definitely hearing. Yeah. Well, and I work with teams that are all on in different places. So some Mm. of them have been running for five years perfectly in sync and they're just, they're adding a ton of value to communities and customers and they've got this broad group of business and they're getting all these referrals. Some of them are just starting. Mm -hmm. And so, hitting our sales goal means that everybody is contributing the adequate amount. It means it means that the teams that are smashing keep smashing and the ones that can't expect to be there yet are improving, right? It kind of means that collectively the group is pulling their weight and there's a direct connection between production mm-hmm. and um, how people are doing, like personally. So generally when we're pacing for a goal, that means everybody's doing well. It means they're they're light and bright and kind of in their zone. So it's kind of like a like a check on the group if we're all pacing. If if one group is drastically off, there's usually a a dissonance there and uh, you know, maybe it's a maybe it's a um, discontent. Maybe there's a maybe there's competition that's infiltrated it. Maybe there's you know, maybe there's they're they're not on board with the goal, mission, whatever. Is that helpful? Yeah. Well, it's you haven't said this, so I'm gonna say something I'm seeing between the lines. Also, have, knowing you, mm-hmm. part of what I'm hearing is you want to have everyone, including yourselves, reach their full potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And so, like creating that environment and recognizing some of us are really close to hitting that potential, and how do we keep pushing that potential up? And, and appreciating some people have a long way to go and helping them see they can get there. 100%. Like, yeah. if you were to ask me what's a good day on the golf course, first thing I would tell you is the treat cart keeps coming around, <laughs> the weather's nice, <laughs> my buds are all there. That's the first yeah. thing, right? And I'm the speaker and treats guy. That's my job on the golf course. But if you were to say, like, what what's a good score for you? I don't know. 85 sounds great, but that is not acceptable for... You know, my friend Taylor Judd is a really good golfer who golfs with us. So it's like, and I, re- I recognize that, right? And so yeah. I think a lot of times when people are really dissatisfied, especially in a sales or leadership standpoint, they're like, we have to be number one. And it's like, well, in what though? Or in what, you know, I mean, if I just start working out, I can't expect to be lifting what somebody that's been working out for 20 years can lift. Yeah. But if you're if you're improving, you're firing and you feel alive. And that's kind of what we're constantly chasing. You yeah. Know? Well, so listening to that, when you talk about what are my values and how am I aware and what kind of team do you want to build? That's an authentic team that would be true to you, that would embody who you are. Mm-hmm. You want a team that has a growth mindset that recognizes this is where we are. This is where we can be. Okay. Now we're here. Where else can we go? And you don't want people that are going to rest on their laurels. Yeah. That's get those guys out of here. Get those guys out. Yeah. Right? So You guys didn't know you were attending like a one-on-one leadership <laughs> consulting session today. I didn't know that that's what I was in line for, but I'm I in. I'm can't in. can't help it. Once you're a coach, you can't not coach. Yeah, no, it's and it's awesome. Like, And for, for our listeners, I told you this on the phone because we were doing a, a solar bid for your house. It was where this conversation started. But um, 
so your husband Dave, who's mm-hmm. been on our podcast, Dave Logan's author, one of the authors of Tribal Leadership, spoke at our conference. Um, you guys are just like a superpower couple. Do you guys just like nerd out on leadership principles all the time, or do you turn it off when you get home? We're pretty nerdy. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if we're you're like dissecting things saying, that other couples are like, guys, shut it off, right? I, I think both of us, prior to our relationship with each other, had the experience of whoever we were dating saying like, what. What? Why are you talking about this? Just watch the movie. And you're like, oh, this person, yeah. This is not interesting. (laughs) So you found found someone that will do that with you. I did. That's perfect. He's great because we go on all kinds of learning adventures together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where I was going with it is... um, I told you this on the phone, but Dave cracked like a like a roadblock that I had in my head regarding coaching for a long time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people, you know, that are out in neighborhoods or in sales professions that listen to this are probably similar. So I'll just tell you what it was, is I used to think, and I've, I've gone through a couple coaches mm-hmm. and I've gone through a couple different, call them methods. And, I, you know, we all read the books, we listen to the podcasts, we go to the conferences, we do all this stuff. And I, uh, I said to Dave, I was like, he asked me if I had a coach, like an executive coach or performance coach. And I said, no. And he's like, why'd you say it like that? Like, eh. <laughs> and I was like, here's the thing. I recognize the need for coaching. I would like a coach. I've never found one that's like done it for me. And he said, well, why do you think you have it? And I was like, well, I want someone that's done it. I don't want someone that's like, like, trained by the Tony Robbins handbook of what to say. I want someone that like knows what it's like. I want someone that has accomplishments. And you probably hear this like objection all the time. It's probably number one. And your husband, Dave said to me, he's like, well, do you want a coach or do you want a mentor? Mm. Because that's not what a coach is. A coach isn't someone that's done it before. A coach is someone that sees something that you don't see. And he probably saw the objection just crack in my face where I was like, you're 100% right. I got tons of mentors. I got a million like business people that I can go to and ask their advice because they do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But he mentioned, he's like, well, Phil Jackson was never the athlete that Michael Jordan was, but he was the best coach for him. And I was like, dude, I'm in. I'm in on coaching. So <laughs> it's it's different. It's different than I had thought, right? So what do you, as you know, you're a partner in the business, but you're also, you spend a lot of time coaching. What do you view your role as? What do you spend most of your time doing? Well, the way I describe it to clients is, it's funny, I used to use Michael Phelps, but we have a new Olympic cycle, so now I'm using Simone Biles. Okay. And Simone Biles doesn't- Sort of controversial one. A controversial one. Yeah. Um, But actually even more apropos than Michael Phelps was, I think, which is Michael Phelps didn't have someone teaching him how to swim. Yeah. His coach, that wasn't his coach's job. Yeah. Simone Biles doesn't have someone teaching her her how to do a somersault. Yeah. Right? Like, they're already very accomplished in their own rights. They already have their skills. They're very good at what they do. And what they do is a very high level of performance. Mm -hmm. And for them, the difference between a gold medal or not making it into the Olympics can be hundreds of seconds. Yeah. Right? It can be a hundredth of a point. And so what's the difference between that hundredth of a point and not making the medal at all, right? Not making it to the podium. Mm -hmm. And it's the coach because the coach stands outside you and tells you things and asks you questions for things you can't possibly see. So Michael Phelps' coach might say, hey, you can't see me in the podcast, but might be holding out their hand and say, hey, what if you like move your hand three degrees? And Michael Phelps says, "Eh, I don't know, that feels a little weird. I'm going to do five degrees. Coach says, great, 
go try it, times it, comes out of the pool and says, hey, what'd you think, Michael? How'd that go for you? And Michael Phelps says, you know, it it felt really good actually, because it turned out I could reach the wall faster, but I noticed a little more drag than I wanted. And the coach says, yeah, you know what? I noticed that too. What do you want to try next? Okay, I'm going to try four degrees. Great, go for it. And so it's that constant mm-hmm. dialogue. Coaching, the magic doesn't happen in the hour session. The magic actually happens in the time in between. Interesting. In the time between the session between and the, the next sessions. one, right? Yeah, because you're going to go do your experiment, come back, what worked, what didn't, what do you want to try next? Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I actually think I just kind of had it figured a little bit wrong. You know, I, I, I think it was... And, and sometimes as direct sales people, we think that nobody, and I bet everybody thinks this, I bet athletes think this, I bet like executives think this a bit, but nobody understands this but us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, nobody knows what it's like. And I bet everybody thinks that, right? But you're right. Like nobody knows what it's like to be you. Nobody knows what it's like to be me. And so where coaching becomes a little bit different from mentoring or therapy is coaching like, you know your business better than anyone else. You know your customers, you know your your systems, you know what sales works, what doesn't. I There's nothing I could tell you or teach you that's gonna change that. You're the expert in your own life. Mm. However, I might be able to ask you a few questions to look at things from a slightly different angle. I don't know what that other angle is going to tell you or what you're going to see. But I wouldn't see it likely on my own. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. My my um, my son, um, my 11-year-old skateboards, and he has a skateboard coach. And uh, I don't skateboard. And so he was trying to learn a kickflip. One of his goals for the year is he wants to land a kickflip. And I was out in the front yard watching him. And he skates and he has a coach. I don't skateboard, you know, and I'm watching him and I'm like, the way he's kicking his foot is like he would ollie up and then kick rather than doing it in a fluid motion. And I could see it, right? Yeah. And I just said to him, I, I filmed it in slow motion. And I said to him, I was like, hey, what do you notice here? And he's like, oh, I don't have time for the board to flip around. And I was like, what if you kicked your foot sooner and then he tried it and he landed this kick flip? And it's like, I couldn't do that. But I could see something that he couldn't see. You just described coaching. Yeah. It was in there all along. We just had to tease it out a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Look at you, Master Coach. There we go. <laughs> I'm on my way. So um, one of the things that your your bio talks about is you use methods from tribal leadership, mm-hmm. which I know that book pretty well. Yeah. Um, and then it mentions the three laws of performance. What's that? I don't know yeah, the three laws Dave of performance. Yeah, Dave also wrote that book. Oh, really? Uh, with Steve Zaffron. Okay. And... It, it has a lot of great stuff in it. And it's, I think the biggest thing that sort of used from that in coaching is your reality is how it occurs to you. Mm-hmm. And if reality can occur to you in a slightly different way, you can approach it in a whole new way. It, it gets into this idea also of default and invented future. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So... Here's the idea. Well, do you want to go through like the whole thing? Just keep going on the default and, okay. and invented future. I'm ready for it. All right. So I want you to imagine that you're on a beautiful island vacation. I love that you can't not coach. Okay. I'm I can't there. not. Yeah, I can't I'm not. It's really, it's I so get silly. it. I can't not it's recruit. So like whenever somebody asks me about the job, I can't not recruit. Okay. So okay. island. So you're on an island. 
you can like hear the waves lapping and listeners should do this too, right? Imagine the, the waves lapping. Okay, I'm gonna go full closed eyes. I'm closed go eyes, you okay. feel like the air is like a little bit humid, but warm. Um, you know, you can kind of hear the breeze and the palm trees rustling. Um, what are you gonna do next? I'm probably going to, I feel the urge to jump in the water. Okay. That's yeah. what I want to do. Go for a nice swim? Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything else after your swim? I was thinking of, um, yeah, like reaching for a drink or something. Yeah, what's your, what's your drink of choice? Something fruity. Nice. We're, we're going on vacation next week. I'm going to get a pina colada. There you go. Okay, so you're still there. You're, you're kind of sitting on the sand. You're getting ready to go on the water. Everything's the same, and all of a sudden you hear, eh, 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 tsunami alert, tsunami alert. And then it's quiet again. And you can hear the waves lapping, you can hear the breeze in the trees. What are you gonna do next? Um, so I picture my wife there with me. Usually if we're on a quiet beach, it's us together and grandma's got kids. Nice. If it's a chaotic beach, all the kids are there with me. Um, I, I thought grab her and, and and run. run, yeah. run for the hills. And yet in that moment after the alarm goes off, nothing around you has actually changed. Still the laughing waves, mm -hmm. still the nice breeze, still waiting for, you know, maybe you have your fruity drink next to you. Um, and what that basically tells you is your actions are determined by what you think is going to happen next. Interesting. But it's not conscious. That, that's actually a really big deal, right? Because you're getting into the way you think is actually determining, right? I always tell people like, again, the guys can't see, but hardware pointing to your brain, software pointing to your hands and the hands do what the brain tells it to do, right? So correct me if I'm wrong, but if you feel like you're going to win, you will subconsciously engage in winning behavior. Your behavior, exactly, you got it. Your behaviors are going to be exactly what in your gut you believe is going to happen. So you might say, we're gonna win, yeah, go. But if your gut 100%. doesn't really believe it, you're gonna have some self-defeating behaviors. Yeah, I've got, uh, I have a friend, um, who, he's one of our directors, his name's Dave Madsen. And it's funny because this happened last night, right? And if the person that said it last night is listening, no disrespect, I hope you beat Dave, but uh, Dave, he installs more than everybody else and has forever. And he's got this record that I believe will never be beat mm. unless Dave himself decides to beat it. But I can't tell you how many times somebody has come to Dave while I'm, while I'm there and said, I'm going to beat your record. And I hear it and I'm like, no, no. And I think, and no one's gotten close. Like, where are those guys that said they were going to beat it? They were, they're not, no one's even gotten to the point where we're like, oh, look, he, like no one's been close. And I've done that before. It's like, I'm going to get in incredible shape. And I feel like I believe it and I want to believe it. But I know that maybe you mentioned like a whole body. Yes. Or like, believe it in my gut. Yeah. It's not there. But I've also had times where I'm like, I am doing this if it kills me and it happens. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So how do you then, because you probably see that all the time, and that's probably like, especially amongst high performers, is they have really big goals and they may not know that they don't believe 100%, but 
the people that say this to Dave, I'm like, you you don't you don't even have the capacity to or the confidence to believe it at the level that you need to hit that number. You know what I'm saying? I do. And so this is where it starts to get interesting, right? Because what we're really saying is the default future for whoever's who's trying to beat Dave. Their default future is I'm going to try and beat Dave and I'm going to get really close and it's okay if I don't make it because I'll still have more sales than everyone else and I'll hit my bonus. Or if something comes up, I'll have a reason why I didn't hit it so I don't feel bad about myself. Yeah, I would have hit it, but I got COVID or whatever. So your invented future is what's going to happen regardless of what's going to come along. I like that. So I would say for anyone that's whose goal is to beat Dave, I don't know what that means because it's a negative, right? It's it's doing, um, it's setting yourself up comparing to something crazy. What if it's, you know, I'm going to maximize the sales in this region and I see that there are a you know, a thousand possible sales I can make, I bet I could make half those sales. Now, a side benefit might be it beats Dave, Hmm. but it feels a lot more me salesperson centric. I'm really aligned with that because even as you heard like earlier on, like I don't really care what Dave uh, installed because that's Dave. If I think, so the number is he did 117 installs in a quarter. That wow. it's, it's just a freaking ton. But if 60 is my 117, I'm equally as happy. If it's like, hey, honestly, that was as much as was humanly possible. I left nothing. I held nothing back. I'm just elated. But if I do 117 and could have hit 140, I don't like the way I feel. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, so, invented future. Notice, though, you are always in competition with yourself. Right. Um, we all have different drivers. So, my wondering for someone that's trying to beat Dave is to what end? And this kind of gets back to where we started with the values, right? So, if you want to beat Dave, how come? Yeah. Do you want the notoriety that comes with that? Do you want the income that comes with that? Mm -hmm. Do you want the place on the leaderboard? If so, why? Yeah. And if it's the income, what are you going to use that income for? It's just paper. So you're saying invented future then. Is that, am I calling it the right thing? Mm -hmm. Okay. That is where I create something that means something to me, kind of. Ish. I mean, default and then the future we often use in larger organizations, um, although you can use it on a team. So we really start out and say, but I do it with individuals as well. You know, basically the default future is the good, the bad and the ugly. Right. And even Zappos had a good, bad, ugly when we did work with them. And then the question becomes, forget about the good, bad and ugly. How do you actually want things to be? Regardless of what happens, how do you want things to be? And you almost have to reject, you have to first name the good, bad, and ugly, because a lot of times, just like your values, it's invisible, but it's there. So first you have to make the invisible visible. And in doing that, then you can cast it away. So how do you make the invisible visible? You have the the default question right so like in your with your family i mean everybody has a default your marriage 
your family, your kids. I, I think about my default future growing up, everyone in my high school went to college. Um, however, my brother-in-law, maybe 15% of the kids in his high school went to college. So I never thought about it. It was just what you, you know, like you went from kindergarten to first grade, you went from, and that was just how it was. Mm -hmm. Not true for my brother-in-law at all. From him, it was you graduate high school and you go straight to work. And so it was not, it was a very conscious, hard fought choice for him, even just to apply to college. Whereas it was baked into every day of my life as a high schooler, because that was just what was expected where I had, where I was fortunate enough to go to school. Mm -hmm. It's just luck. You know, I didn't do any, I just pure luck. Sure. And so we all have those things in our lives, in our families, in our careers, in, in your sales team. And what's sort of the expected things that we never actually have to say out loud? It's interesting, like, uh, you kind of specialize in like the super esoteric slash, like, it's hard, like most people don't even know this world really exists that love like mm -hmm. default futures and you can get in there and reprogram mm -hmm. and change it and those that do it's hard to explain like it's hard to like these skills aren't like oh okay well this is how you change oil this is how you get in shape it's like those like this is how you shift a default future like that kind of mm -hmm. stuff it's a highly specialized and like just difficult to like to like touch skill you know it is and so that's ironically you know, like peer coaching would be just asking questions. You're the expert. You can uncover the stuff yourself. Mm -hmm. The type of coaching I do, because I do more executive coaching, I will bring to it these frameworks, work with someone. Like I would take someone through the process and we really barely touch the process. Sure. Take, yeah. take someone through the process and we practice, 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 try things out. Like I said, they work, they don't work. And then what tends to happen with, because I'm working with um, leaders that come to be, come back and say, all right, um, now how do I bring this out in the people around me? And rather than me coaching them, a real victory, if you will, is helping the leader learn how to coach their people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, then it's more repeatable, more yeah. like long-term sustainable. Yeah. What? Um, before we get off it, how, how would somebody, and I know this is like an impossible question to answer in the yeah. two minute time frame you'll have for it, but if somebody actually wants to beat Dave, they really like, I want to be the type of person that can be number one in sales, but maybe their gut doesn't believe it or they have like pre-programmed things. Like what's the first step? So you mentioned you have to identify your values first, but how do you change it? Like if I've never, if no one in my life has been to college and no one around me has been to college, but I actually kind of want to go there, but it almost seems like my programming is stacked against me. Yeah. How do I change it? How do I start to well, evolve? Any change, you know, what's what's the parable? Every a thousand miles starts with one step. Yeah, yeah. So if you're curious about something, we have this amazing thing called the internet. <laughs> there's there's YouTube, there's TikTok, there's sure. books, and then there's people, and there's LinkedIn. I get people connecting with me on LinkedIn saying, "Hey, I, I'm kind of interested in being a coach. Could you tell me about it?" And I always connect with them. 
Um, and I'm sure they've connected to a hundred different coaches and maybe three of them said, yes, I'm happy to talk to you. Mm-hmm. That's still three people you get to talk to. Um, so for people that haven't gotten to do it, you know, you start with curiosity. Everything starts with curiosity. You know, who, who interests you? Reach out to them. I mean, what was so amazing to me when Dave was writing Tribal Leadership is he would just write emails to people. Hi, my name's Dave. I'm writing a book. Here's what it's about. Would you mind be talking to me? Mm-hmm. How many people said yes? A lot of people, you're uh, saying. I, I mean, I, I can't. I'm trying to think if anyone, you know who, who said no, and this is kind of interesting. Who? Phil Jackson. Oh, really? And then years later, he wrote his book, Five Rings, and referred back to tribal leadership. Got him. Got him. Got well, him. I mean, I don't think he realized. I don't oh, but we realized. Too, but we had a good laugh. You know who else that. used to do that is Kobe Bryant. He uh, he was, like, notorious for reaching out to people about things that he was just curious about. So yeah. he'd reach out to, like, random business leaders or people in, like, investing and be like, hey, can I ask you questions? And it's Kobe Bryant, so, of course, you're going to take the call. But... It's really interesting. That's I, I think that's a trait amongst like we call it eagerly unsatisfied. Like amongst the eagerly unsatisfied, where they have the confidence to reach out, but they're like interested enough and, and willing enough to be a student on something. But they just it's kind of like just an insatiable thing. Like you know what I mean? Amongst I high do. performers, where they're like they feel like they can reach out to anybody, and then at the same time they actually want to learn about something that you wouldn't think they want to learn about. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think the bottom line is a hunger for learning. Mm-hmm. I actually don't think it matters if you go get a degree or any of those things. I think the important thing is, are you hungry to learn and are you willing to listen? So the work of someone, next time I see someone come up to Dave and say, hey, I'm going to beat you. Mm-hmm. And me in my head be like, mm, they don't have it, Right. The best coaching that maybe I could give or what that person needs to do likely Mm -hmm. is assess their values, figure out what it is that they believe in, Mm -hmm. ask themselves the question of why, what what does this mean to you? And then almost like set them on a path of their own where if the outcome is they happen to be Dave, great, but don't make that your sole focus. Well, and I would also wonder, hey, can you call Dave and ask him how he managed to, to do this? What can you learn from Dave? Yeah, because I always think the difference between the job that we do and from like a sales standpoint, it's not that hard intellectually. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard physically. It's excruciating mentally and emotionally. But you know what I mean? It's like, okay, could anybody do it? Yeah, I mean, you've been through the process. You basically like, right? You just kind of, it's not that hard. But but it is hard. Don't sell yourself short. It is so hard. I'm saying from like a tangible, like, you don't have to have a college degree. You don't have to understand super complex things. You don't have to have this like cognitive ability that's insane. There's other things required. But I'm just saying like, it's the biggest differentiator that I see between high performers in my world, and you probably see the same thing. It's generally not the way they word certain things or whatever. It's simply the way they think. They just think differently. Like Dave was crazy enough to believe he could do 117 installs and he did it. I think other people want to believe that they can do that, <laughs> but I don't think they really believe it. And I don't think they're willing to stake their reputation on it. And I don't think they're willing to do 
what it takes to get there. Well, that's, I think those are the differences. That's my question. Actually, if you really wanted to be Dave's record, I would want to know what did Dave do and break it down into manageable chunks. Yeah. So in order to get 117 installs, how many people did he have to call a day? How many no's did he have to get? Because mm-hmm. the only way you can get that many yeses is definitely a multiple of a lot of no's. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think that's really helpful because the, the crazy thing that I've noticed is when you break down a goal, when you say the goal that you think, you scare yourself a little, right? Have you ever yeah. done that where you're like, I want to, uh, okay, I want to gain 50 pounds, whatever. I want to gain muscle. I want to like, <laughs> or I want to lose 50, whatever. And you say it and you're like, oh, I'm scared that I just said that. But you think it's possible, so it's exciting. And then I've noticed, so like maybe your confidence is here and like low and your your goal is high. But then once you start like teasing it out and working out the steps, the craziness of it goes down and the the like your confidence and your ability to do it goes up like you know to even say hey i want to save a hundred thousand dollars like to some people it's like i've never seen that much money like oh my gosh but then if you're like let me break this down all i have to do is sell two of these a week well in order to sell two a week all i have to do is pitch i have to open my mouth to 40 qualified people i can do that I mean, that means I have to work six solid good hours. I can do that. And then it's like the surge of confidence that comes from that. But I almost wonder if some of the confidence missing from those that want to beat the record because they haven't done that work. I've never seen someone that says, hey, I want to beat you. And here's how I'm going to do it. Uh, And if they said, here's I want to beat you because and here's how I'd be like, holy crap, he might do it. They're going to do it. But everybody else, I feel like you just said that. You didn't even know you're going to run it. You just you made this decision 35 seconds ago. Yeah. So you know? coaching that you can do is ask them, "How are you going to do it?" And they'll say, "I'm going to go buck wild." I'm like, "All right, sit down. Let's talk. <laughs> we got some stuff Great. to work out." What are you going to do Monday? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do Tuesday? What are you going to do a week from Tuesday? How much of your coaching is skill set versus mindset? I mean, I know skill set or mindset is a skill set too, I don't... but. I can't teach confidence. Either you're competent or you're not. Yeah, when you coach very diverse yeah. people, right? Mm-mm. Yeah, I can't I can't teach you how to do a sale. So do you teach much like leadership skills or are you mostly help them think through it and find the answer themselves, right? So, I mean, I can tell you exactly what happens in each session. Like big picture, I usually meet with people for three to six months. And I would say, hey, what do you, like at the end of this, what do you want to have had happened? Someone might say, I want, to, I want to beat Dave's goal. Great. And of course, I'd say, to what end, blah, blah, blah. And then after that, every session, I start out, what do you want to get out of our time? Which, by the way, is like a fantastic way to start any meeting. Yeah. What are you hoping <laughs> to get out of this? Yeah, what do you a want promotion? to get out of this? A promotion. No, that's not happening. Or <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. But it helps. It really is a great tool. What do I want to get out of this time? Yeah, that's great. And then I, they'll, it'll often be like, I want to beat Dave's goal. Okay, great. So I will ask questions like that. So tell me, how does that break down? So if he has 117 a month, how many sales is that a day? Well, wait a minute. Are we, ta- how many, are we talking about like 30 days in a month? Are we talking realistically, you know, you work five days a week? Mm-hmm. And so well, I'll probably start breaking it down. I might say, hey, are you interested in hearing a tool? And they're allowed to say yes or no. 
I, I, it's your time, not my time. Who says no? Sometimes people just need to talk. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Interesting. They just need to be heard. Yeah. Um, never undersell helping someone being seen or heard. Um, and so I'll say, hey, would you like to hear a tool? I might explain, well, here's this idea of microstrategy. You have your objective. What are your assets? What are your... Um, what- so that, I, that would say that's skill set. Yeah. That's skill set stuff. Like, you're not going to teach it's me how framework. to sell. Right? But you, that's a skill that might yeah. help me. Yeah. But I might give you a framework. And then I'll say, all right, so now you have this framework. How does this apply to what you're doing? Sometimes I might give an analogy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I might share, oh, it's interesting. I have another client who's in a similar situation. What advice would you give them? I'll tell you what I haven't liked from coaches. Yeah. Because I've had a couple, like, like intro not three to six months but i've had a couple like multi-session fairly expensive like experiences and the thing that has frustrated me is i get on and they just talk like they're just like you know like if i were to if i were to like walk into a a sales team right now and if they were to say hey could you train absolutely whatever i'm ready right now i do this i've been doing this for 18 years i've trained thousands of teams i've got catalogs of data and I could do a good job like I could I could do this and I often feel like that's what most of my experiences have been it's like oh no I've coached thousands of people what are you dealing with and then I tell them and then they talk because they have experiences but I've never found someone that has sat down and been like okay like if you were my personal trainer Mm -hmm. I don't want a generic meal plan I want you to look and say okay you're six so you're skinnier than you should be you're whatever right like you need i want them to make a plan for tie that's what i want i've never had a coach be like okay <clears throat> this is what you want this is how i'm going to help you get there it's going to be six months it's going to be weekly and I, i'm going to need you to do these exercises and i'm hand selecting them for you i've never had that i don't know if that's how it works or whatever but i always want to feel like like michael phelps's coach was coaching michael phelps he was saying Michael has this tendency. I want to get him here. He's a 10 on all these things. He's an eight here. Never had that. I've had like the basic swim coach. It's like, yeah, usually at this point. Swim 10 laps. Yeah. And it's so disappointing. And I freaking hate being disappointed. I hate it. And I've constantly been disappointed when looking for like, like high level coaching. How do you find them? Usually through just people that other people are using. Mm. Um, Or if they... You know, there's a lot of like, you probably see it in your industry, but there's a lot, we call it the real kind, like the real kind of sales leader here. Like I know what it is and there's a lot of people that aren't the real kind and I just don't have respect for it. So it's probably how it is in your world. Like coaching's tough because it's one of those professions where you can say, hey, I'm a coach. Poof, you're a coach. Um, And so there is a really big, people can become a coach after doing a weekend seminar and feel like they could be a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and there's also some really high standards for coaching. So I I went to the Hudson Institute and, you know, I think it's like a 10 month program and you have to do a prerequisite and it was intense. I mean, I remember that I'll never forget the first session we sat down and you, you go for like four or five days in person. And then there's all these things you have to do throughout the months in between the in-person sessions. And I'll never forget that the head of the program said, hey, look, this program is going to take 15 to 20 hours a week of your time. And we know you and we know that you all think you're high performers. So you're hearing us say that 
and you're cutting it in half thinking you're going to be able to get this done in five to 10 hours. And we are telling you, we know you're high performers. And most people, this would take 40 hours a week. Mm. We're reducing that because we already know how hard you work. And that it was a really intense program. And not all coaching programs are created equal. You know, one of the things that it's a new field, it's only been around 30, 40 years. So one of the things that they're trying to do is there's the International International Coach Federation. And so they certify coaches. So to be in like their entry level coach, you have to have gone to so many hours of school, done so many coaching hours, taken an ethics test. They actually listen to recordings of you coaching. Hmm. Um, they do anything to measure results of those that you coach? How do you measure results? I don't know. I just look at like someone like <laughs> Tim Grover. I'm like, yeah, guy's got to be legit. You know what I mean? He's got all these championships. He's got all these like high level athletes. Yeah. But again, you're coaching different people to different. Yeah. I mean, that'd be a really hard thing to do. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And what you want to get out of a coach, like your version of a successful coaching engagement will be really different from someone else's. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, what I've looked for in it is somebody that can just keep my fire lit like give me the skills to like really stay because there's some days where I like or even like chapters or seasons where I'm just like man I was creating the best work of my life during that time I was just firing and there's other times where I was like man I was probably 60% I don't I just don't like the way I feel at 60% I like I like if I'm if we're doing something I like to freaking do it you know and so it's like that's always what I've looked for but it's, it's such a very, I, I found that like, and it's not like I've actively hunted, but people are like, oh, I have this coach, but like, cool, I'd love to try it. Uh, and then it's like, I'm so busy. I don't really have time to like really dial this in. I felt the same way about financial planning. I was like, it's probably the most important thing. <laughs> I don't have the time to learn enough to pick the right person. Pick you right know person, what I mean? Yeah. But it's so important. But I do realize that every high level person generally does. And coaching is, you mentioned it's new, but it's also like, the the rapidness with which it's grown and the extreme validity of it like yeah. you know you look at something like um I'm a supercross fan I love motorcycle racing and in like the 90s the motorcycle like the motocross guys just partied like they partied so they would go to these races they'd ride fast they were the wild boys and then they would party and then the next week they would come back uh in like 2004 or something, uh, they call him the GOAT. He's one of the best motocross champions, but his name is Ricky Carmichael. He hired this coach. He's the first one in motocross to do this, which seems now like, I mean, you don't have a coach. Yeah. But he did his diet. He did his mental stuff. He did his conditioning. And he was out there on the track with him. And the results were exponential. Yeah. And so everybody hired this guy, right? Everybody hired that exact same dude. His name is Alden Baker. Uh. And everybody wants Alden. So Alden shoots up and now he works. But now you go there and it's like, they're all on meal plans. They all have heart rate monitors on, mm -hmm. you know, they all get back from, from traveling on Sunday. They're on the bike Monday morning. And it's so like common sense. So yeah, it probably is new, but it, it, it's probably relatively uncontested that clearly it works, right? It, it can. I mean, it works if you're in it. So if you're, I don't think everybody needs a coach all the time. Mm -hmm. It To me, it's very much you... Favorite people to coach are people that are newly promoted um, or have a new team around them. And they're in the middle of some big change. Mm -hmm. And so often sort of like what 
gets you promoted is not what's going to make you successful once you're there. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so I love those kinds of situations or the business. It's weird that we do that, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, you're a good salesperson, so why don't you manage people? So stop selling, go manage. That's totally different skill sets. Completely different. It's totally different. And yet there's no one there to sort of help guide you through that transition. Yeah, it's like, you're an artist, why don't you run the art department? It's like, that's barely what, art. What makes you, know? you a great artist is definitely going to make you a terrible person to run the art Yeah, department. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's interesting that you say that because that's, I think, my favorite people to coach too. We have this group we call them prime and they're the ones that um that have shown that they can take care of themselves from a sales perspective so now we need to get you ready to do more and the thing i love about that group is they don't know everything and they don't know anything and it's amazing because they will do exactly what they're coached to do to tremendous results really quickly it's almost like they can they just you know i have a fight trainer and he told me he asked me once he was like do you have any background in fighting i was like zero i've never even thrown a punch and he's like yes because this will you're you're pure like this will work i don't have to weed stuff out you don't have to you know? unlearn yeah Right? Like, you. you don't have to unlearn. You can just go straight to learning. Mm-hmm. But most of the people that I see have like this whole career built on developing these ways of being in the world that have made them successful. And suddenly those ways of being in the world are not getting the same results they used to. So t- I imagine curiosity plays a role there. Talk about curiosity. You mentioned that earlier. That's a real common thing with um, like business and executive development right now you hear like one of our values at Sunrun is curiosity so what what how do you view that and how can it help leaders get to another level well i mean talking about your your fighting coach right Mm -hmm. um what happens when you don't know something and you want to learn personally yeah when I don't know something and want to learn, I, I, I seek an expert. That's what I would do. Yeah, and ask them questions. Yeah. Right? Because you know you don't know. And I think where we start to get into trouble, the more established we are in our careers, the older we get, is we assume we know. And the truth is, nobody knows everything all the time. None of us do. And we certainly don't know what the person next to us, what their story is. So sometimes we see behavior and we we are story-driven creatures. So I I see someone got an elevator and pushed the button real fast and the door shut. And I think, wow, what a jerk. That was so rude. Well, maybe there was something else going on, right? Maybe the person was shutting the doors because their wife was giving birth and they were like in a rush to get to the hospital to be there with their partner giving birth, right? I mean, maybe they um, are legally blind or they had something in their contacts and they didn't see me and they meant to hit the door open and they hit the door closed by accident. I mean, who knows why they did this behavior, but we can't help as humans to kind of like fill in this void of a story. Mm -hmm. So rather than create our own stories, which sometimes are helpful, but often are harmful, what if we start wondering instead? Yeah, it's um, that the elevator reminded me of, I think it's in the seven habits mm. where Covey's talking about the guy on the bus with the kid that's kind of going nuts. Have you heard oh that my one? Gosh, it's been a long time. So he tells a story, I believe it's Stephen Covey, but he tells a story. There's a man on a subway in New York 
And he's sitting there, he's almost like devoid of expression. And he's got this little kid with him and the kid's climbing around on the bars and, and freaking out and stuff. And the dude on the train says to the guy that's sitting down, he's like, hey, can you, can you get control of your kid? And he kind of snapped out of a fog and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm on the way home from the hospital. His mother just passed away and I haven't told him yet. Mm-hmm. And just like, he talks about a paradigm shift yeah. where it's like, Oh my gosh, we you know, we're reading this book as a company, The 15 Laws of Conscious Leadership. I don't know if you've read oh, that, I but haven't read that. It 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 says as one of the exercises in curiosity to sit to ask yourself, what if the opposite is true? Mm, right? Like it's a great just question. think for a second. Yeah, like so maybe this guy doesn't care about the way his kids behaving. What if the opposite is true? What if he's dealing with something and doesn't even know, right? Or yeah. or you know, this uh this guy at work that stole a recruit from you. Mm. He stole him from me or he stole a sale. <laughs> what if the opposite is true? What if your sale reached out to him because he doesn't like you? Yeah. Or what if your recruit reached out to him because he likes the results that you're getting? It's really different, right? Like, And I, I, I think that it's interesting. The most developed people that I know are also the less certain of what they know. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I find, uh, hopefully, like, I find myself taking less definitive stances because it's like, you only have to put your foot in your mouth so many times would be pretty wrong before it's like, maybe I, I think I know, you know what I mean? But one of the things, one of the mistakes I made early in my, like, senior leadership career was I thought that my job was to represent sales to the company. I thought mm-hmm. I knew something that no one else knows. And so you have me to help you understand what you don't know, which was not what they thought I was, but that's what I thought I was. And so I'd go into these meetings and I used to go to like, I get to go, I used to get to go to like board meetings and stuff or like senior leadership meetings with like the C-suite. And I look back on my performance and I'm so embarrassed by it. I mean, it was four years ago or five years ago or whatever. And it's just, I understood something different. And I was not curious, that is for sure. I went in there and they're like, we're gonna do this move. And I was like, this is exactly what's gonna happen. And it took a while and took some coaching for me to realize like, hey, like there's a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different like factions of the business here. Slow that trigger finger down just a little bit, you know? Yeah. And as I've done it now, I sit and they're like, what if we do this? And my sales inclination is like, that is going to kill us. But then I'm like, what if the opposite is true? What if that actually helps us grow? We do things different than we did them five years ago. Like... What if the opposite is true? I'm not good at it, but it makes sense. You know? Well, and it's, what is it going to do to sales? Wait a minute. Is this going to be good for Dave or is this going to be good for that other guy? Because everyone in sales is going to have a slightly different approach. And by the way, not only sales, but what is this going to do to marketing in the company? What is this going to do to, I don't know what other departments you have. What is it going to do to, right. to sourcing operations, the warehouse legal, or operations yeah. or legal? Um, and it's interesting. I'm actually working with a sale, director of sales right now mm. who was recently elevated to the leadership team. Mm. And one of the things that I do in coaching sometimes is something we call a reputation audit where I'll talk to the people around the person I'm coaching to see how they're seen by other people. Interesting. And the biggest challenge... You're like, I was coached. Like, I got a lot of stuff that that guy can work <laughs> on. Let me tell you what Let you need to program you. him with. <laughs> well, but no, but it's... This is, this is the thing I see over and over and over again when it, you are great because you're great at sales and then you're a great sales leader because you see where they're coming from and you... But then how do you integrate that into the overall company vision? 
um, so that it, it goes from being me to sort of the we, but the smaller we, to all of us. And how do you want that to actually show up in the world at large? And how can all these different things be true? So that, like, I think sometimes we get confused in seeing other perspectives that one perspective is right and one perspective is wrong. What's the real challenge is holding what might be like these two opposite perspectives and seeing how they can both be true at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, to your director friend, it's like every position is kind of like a new language. It's yeah. like, man, I, I was really good at speaking English yes. and I speak Spanish. And when I speak Spanish, I can't express myself as well. Right. Yes. And so it's like, we always remind leaders that, hey, salespeople speak sales. That's all they speak. They speak production and and ease of use and and incentives and bonus. That's what salespeople speak. But when you go into that different room, you have to speak corporate. And sometimes you're the only one in the room that's bilingual. But it's like, if I go into a Spanish meeting, we're speaking Spanish. So I've got to, I've got to communicate effectively in Spanish because these people don't understand English, right? And that so- That's like my favorite analogy. I use that analogy, it's like a hundred times a week. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Because I thought I made it up. I didn't. No, so many people are, are so <laughs> angry. Like, but it's supposed to be this way. Yeah. And it's like, what? Why are you? It's like going to a foreign country and yelling, where's the bathroom? And when no one can answer. Yeah. You yell louder. It's like, I can see that you're upset. But I can't understand a word that you're saying. Raising your voice isn't going to make it happen if you speak two different languages. It's going to frustrate everybody. Yeah. Is there a common thing that you see um, among high performers? Like, is there, you know, in like certain sales, like you get pretty much like six core objections, right? So Mm. like with like solar, it's like, okay, I don't like the way it looks or that's a long contract or what if I move or what if I need a new roof or what if technology changes, whatever. That's pretty much all you get. Is there, is there core, um, I don't want to say maybe barriers that you run into with the people that you coach? Is it like, yeah, half of the guys that come see me have this problem or the people that come see me? Or is it really diverse? Uh, Yes and yes. It's diverse. And like I said, one is um, I get a lot of know your audience or when I receive feedback for people, it's it's know your audience. When you receive feedback for people? For people. From their peers? From their peers. Um, Which I'm thinking a lot about that language piece. So a lot of it comes down to communication. A lot of it comes down to either I don't feel like I'm being heard or I'm being misunderstood or I'm really frustrated by a coworker, boss, someone below me. Um, And it's like this relationship where this thing is really frustrating. Why don't they see? Why don't they understand? Kids wanting to be loved, right? Like a child to. wanting love. It's what it comes down to. I get things from, I, like I said, I think a lot of it comes down to what's a transition or change. Um, not as much now, but a lot of times I've had people come to me saying like, I just, I worked really hard to get to where I am. And now that I'm here, it's not what I thought it was going to be. That's for sure true. Yeah. That has to be true with like most people. I thought I really wanted this, you know, do you ever coach people, um, 
just something that so for example I have a, a, a lot of guys that are like they feel like they should want to be promoted like if you ask them what they want I want to be a leader right but then when you look at what they actually like what their skill set is and what they find fulfillment in and what they're happy with it's not the job that they're aspiring to does that make sense yeah and so do you ever find yourself coaching them on maybe what like maybe it's a realignment of values or what do you actually want because the 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 latter will tell you that no you want to be promoted but guess what like if you love selling and then you get promoted you don't get to sell as much yeah and if you hate dealing I, i had this guy the other day and he's like i just hate like babysitting new people and i'm like you are in the wrong role i mean and first of all stop calling it that because your vocabulary is really like slanting this but second of all like why how did you land here what do you want to do maybe you need a different job you know do you find that commonly all the time really you know what what is the helping people figure out what is the role they actually want what are they really called to do um and it's hard to figure out what your calling is um, you know, I think we're told a lot, like, do what you love or be passionate. And then it's like, yeah, but I got to pay the rent. Yeah, that's a weird one. Yeah, I think if you would have told my grandpa, you yeah. know, 80 years ago, like, hey, are you passionate about your work? He'd look at me like I was an alien. Like you're insane. Yeah. And so I think the real question is, what, what do you think your purpose is on earth? And then how do you align your life to reflect that? Have you have you read any of Cal Newport's stuff? Mm-mm. He wrote this book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Um, it's based off of uh, advice from Steve Martin, actually, <laughs> to another comedian. Just be so good they can't ignore you. But his take on that was um, that you generally aren't, you don't find what you're passionate in and work there. You generally develop an expertise mm-hmm. and then you're passionate about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It's kind of interesting because there's a, there's a flip on that, which is we all know the Gallup Strengths Finder. There's, mm-hmm. You can go to Gallup and yeah. you take this test. Strengths Finder is great. We've used that strengths. a lot. Well, here's the pitfall with it. It turns out you might be really good at something that you don't actually enjoy doing that doesn't bring you energy or joy. That's 100% true. And so there's a spinoff and there's a company called Helios, which measures a different type of strength. It's a combination of what is your strength that you actually enjoy doing. I think your husband was telling me about this. He was yeah. saying that you have these tools that that are that are, that are are a little bit more like multidimensional kind of in oh, that way. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of tools. That's the other thing I, I'd love to do. So... So Helios, sorry, is... Helios is a company that provides, and I can't remember the name of their tool. It might be StrengthsFinder. um, That, like Gallup, looks for your strengths, but it actually is connecting your strengths to what gives you energy. So it kind of looks at what gives you energy and what sucks energy away from you. So you talk about, like, your best days don't feel like work. It's You're describing flow. And so what tends to happen to a lot of people or can happen to people. I I have a dear friend who's in this situation who is so good at her job. She's really good at it. And it's not where she finds any pleasure. That's kind of like a weird hell, right? It's kind of like a weird little curse. You're like, oh, I'm really, really good at this. I'm just going to I'm trying to think what I'm good at that I hate, you know? Yeah. I'm only good at a handful of things, but it's like, I don't know, maybe like delineated systems. Like I'm pretty good at like sitting down and actually doing it, but it, it really, or like 
like writing content. Yeah. Not like I like writing sales content. I don't love writing like manuals, but I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. And it feels like somebody is just like drilling in. It, it, it's like when before I sit down to do it, it's like okay. All right, got it. Turn off the phone. I gotta just freaking And you know get this you can done. do it, and you know you can do it well. Yeah, and um, no one else is doing it, so I'll do it. But yeah. it, maybe it's that. And, and what happens and it's grindy. to some people is they do that, and they and someone spots that and say, "Wow, you are an expert manual writer. I'm going to give you double your salary to come and write manuals all day long." And most of us will say yes to that, and then suddenly wake up a year later, or two years later, or ten years later, and say, "Oh my gosh, why am I so miserable in every aspect of my life?" Hmm. What is this pressure in my skull? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it helps you find that. That's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's that tool. I mean, I have a whole bunch of them. Mm. <laughs> yeah. My, my favorite is the Enneagram, which looks at your personality and sort of says, all right, this is the lens. So every time I, like you speak sales and you see the world through sales. Mm -hmm. So this is the lens through which you see the world. And once you understand your own lens, then you can say, okay, what are some other lenses you can put on? take on and which ones are easier for you to try on and not try on and which ones when people show up with that lens you're like can't be around you yes <laughs> then which ones do you repel um do you find like for you like personally do those things nail you like i feel like i feel like they nail me so like they get me just i had a real challenge because i'm always in the middle Really? That, that was my question. I'm always in the middle. And so... And then you second guess how you answered that and like no. maybe the mood that you were in when you answered it or something or I, what? I really don't because in real life I'm in the middle. Really? <laughs> you know, like I don't get really upset about stuff, but I don't never get upset. Yeah. I um, am confident, but I'm not always confident. Yeah. I'm whatever, whatever metric you're looking at. So my favorite right now, this Enneagram test, what I love about it is you can't be in the middle. There's no such thing as in the middle. That's why I struggled on Enneagram though, because um, we should do it. I should take it and I want you to look at it. But yeah, I, uh, I, have, I feel like I have like, I don't know if everybody feels this way, but I feel like I have two competing, very different people in me. Yeah. So one of them is like a free creative designy artsy dude and then one of them is a core producer that is just like kind of black and white and get stuff done and you know give up to go up and like you know sacrifice and succeed and win and then this other one that's like create and and those two are at war on the enneagram because it asks these certain questions where i last time i took it i noticed the first half of the test i was being one guy and the second half of the test i was being the other so there are a gajillion Enneagram tests out there. And I used it in my personal life, but never professionally until about three years ago, because I finally found a test that could, could get it accurate. So this company out of South Africa, and it's an adaptive test. So the first nine questions are the same for everybody, but then it will tell you directionally where you're leaning and it changes the next question based on how you answer the question before it. That's so interesting. As you're it tells you. Oh, it doesn't tell it doesn't you you're tell leaning you. this way. It you just, just start to you get. Start getting different kinds. So of they questions. start to like drill down a little yeah. bit. Yeah, which is it's an amazing test. And then of course I get the results. And unlike most enneagram tests, where it's like, oh, you're a two, or oh, you're a three, or oh, you're a four. This one says, okay, you are a one-on-one -on -one three with an eight thinking style and a 
uh, with an eight action style and a five thinking style. And by the way, this is the order in which you act, think, feel. And by the way, this is what it means to be one. By the way, this is where you stand in your social, your one-on-one and your self-preservation. And a social three looks really different from a one-on-one three looks really different from a self-preservation three. So there's all these layers of depth. So when you read it, were you like, yes? Or were you like, ah? Um, Well, I go back to it because there's so much depth. I'm learning new things all the time. And so what's interesting is I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a social two, I'm a social two. And my tri-type is 279. And then I say, well, wait a minute, what's my, what's my conflict style? And I learn conflict styles for other people and I say, huh, I'm gonna relook at my own conflict style. So yeah, I've read the report, but now I sort of have this more general knowledge of understanding what all this stuff means for everybody else. So I can look back and say, oh yeah, that tracks. Hmm. And what's amazing when you do an Enneagram for a team and everyone knows who they are on the team and you can find out a team type, you can say, oh my goodness, look, here we are. We're a type seven team. Look at this pitfall of looking at all the opportunities, being unwilling to stick to one plan. It means we're super innovative, Mm -hmm. but it means we have a really hard time staying the course for more than six months. That's interesting. I the, the one that I took, I'd be interested in you seeing it because when I first heard it, I was like, no. It said something like your core motivation is like not getting hurt. And I was like, that's not my core motivation. I don't care about getting hurt. Whatever. Oh, and then seven? I think it was a seven. Yeah, you're a seven. And then it talked or about, it said something like I'm prone to gluttony or something. And I was like, gluttony? I kind of have like indulgences or anything. But then I was like, well... When I get into something, I get really into something. Like, I don't have any sort of hobbies. I have, like, kind of crazy, like, like oh, you're fighting now? So you're fighting all the time or you're training yeah. all the time or, like... And, and then, like, I was thinking, too, like, when, when I go to, like, hot tub with the buddies or whatever, I'm in there for three hours. Like, I don't do it for 40 minutes. Like, I can't. And so I was like, is that? So then I can't tell if I'm like, oh, that's what they mean or, oh, I'm only thinking this because the test said it. It's actually not accurate. You know what I mean? Well, so when I debrief someone's Enneagram, I, it, look, it's a test and it's a construction of a framework. And you know you better than anyone else. So mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, typical sevens do X, Y, Z. Does this resonate or not? What's a seven? What What is a seven? Um, the enthusiastic visionary. I think that's what I, let me see if it's I can find it. It's a thinking style. They look, what they're afraid of is pain, but it's not pain of physical pain. It's Type more um, pain of missing out on opportunities, pain on missing out I'm on FOMO options. guy? You're FOMO guy. Oh. Um, and there's type seven, the enthusiast or epicure. Yeah. Got it. My, my, I have a wonderful seven client who back when we could meet in person showed up at my office with a box of macarons. You know, he'd been at a bakery and and saw his box of, saw the macarons. And for the two of us, he must've brought 30 macarons of those beautiful French Mm -hmm. cookies in all different colors. And like, they're okay. They're better. Like I'm a chocolate chip walnut cookie girl, but you know, they're beautiful. And I said, oh my gosh, like what, this is amazing. There's so many. And he said, well, we had to try them all. We had to try every single flavor. And I said, oh, like, are you looking for the best one? Dave's at, my husband's at three. I'm at two with a lot of three tendencies. What's the best one? 
And he... What are those? What's a three and a two uh, primarily? A three is the competitive achiever. Okay. And that's Dave or you? That's Dave. That's Dave. And then a two is the considerate helper. Oh. But I'm used to it. Right? Good Two peas in a pod. And I'm a social two, which tends to be the ambitious of the two types. But what drives me is helping others. And what drives what drives a three is being the best. Hmm. I'm more, for me, I'm like, well, can I be, like, how much can I help? That's, that's awesome. Really, that's what matters the most to me. Well, but there's a curse to it, right? Like, because it's giving to get. I mean, there's always a there's always a dark underbelly to all this stuff. There's things in this I like, and then, like, I, I pulled this up, right? Because we're sitting on my computer, but it says your blind spots are actual limitations, problems, or pitfalls, painful feelings, and negativity. Blind spots, actual limitations. So I like that. I'm like, oh, I, maybe I don't see the actual limitations because I'm yeah. an enthusiast and I believe I can do these things. And then this part says the emotional drive of type seven is gluttony. It was gluttony, which refers to an insatiable need for stimulating, pleasurable and interesting ideas, options, plans and experiences. So when I first read gluttony, I'm like, I'm not like a gluttony. I'm not going to like, no, it's not what do I eat my feelings? But that nails me because it's like I could if if it, if it's not interesting anymore or yeah. if it's like if I don't have options if you don't give me optionality or you know experiences then I would I would make irrational decisions for the preservation of those things yes you know what I mean yeah so it's weird like I look at these and I'm like eh and then I'm like well <laughs> like, well, look at thing. this another way. So the client that who's a seven who brought me all the macaroons, I said, why? Like, why so many? And he said, oh, because we have to try every single one. And so the three wants the best one, wants but the, the seven wants one. the experience. The seven of, is like, but what if we miss out? Like, what if we miss the most interesting flavor profile? But then it says what's missing is sobriety, which refers to being fully grounded in the present moment exactly as it occurs. And 100%. There's no need to go into your head to the next idea or experience. Now is enough. And I've got, I mean, I delete my social media twice a month, you know, so it's like <laughs> I can just be present. And I don't, I don't sit well. Like, I don't sit still yeah. well, yeah. you know. So maybe it's right, you know. It, probably. It's, it wasn't un, unintentional that I set of 17 yeah yeah <laughs> you coaches and psychiatrists are always analyzing no i'm just kidding um so the this is all very fascinating to me yeah. what do you what kinds of clients do you take on if there's people that are listening are you are you do you only take on executive people do you have a full team how many people are you coaching at once like oh it's funny i don't think of it in terms of how many people am i coaching at once um we do have a full team so i do recommend coach matching you know I, I think it's good to talk to a couple of different coaches or to talk to one coach who might know other coaches to say you know I think this is a good fit for you um, I don't think you should be coached just because hey I want to coach I think it's very specific like imagine what do you want to get out of the coaching experience is it that you want to be a more effective salesperson okay great what does that mean what does that look like? So being really clear on what you want to get out of the experience. Um, I tend not to limit my clientele and I'm expensive. So it naturally tends to cap out. Um, and you can reach me on LinkedIn. Our website is culture sinks, culture and then S-Y-N-C.net, not com.net. Um, my email is heart, H-A-R-T-E, at culturesync.net. You're not hard to find. You have a unique name. I'm, You're not hard yeah, to find. Yeah, I'm really easy to click. Put, put heart, H-A-R-T-E, in LinkedIn, and, and you got me. And you'll find them. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, can you talk about a breakthrough that you had with somebody? You don't give me specifics or names or anything, but is there any any particular like times in your career where you felt like, wow, man, that was... Oh, I mean, all the time. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's significant, though. Think about that. Think of how many people actually get... Like, when I think of, like, oh, I had a breakthrough with my daughter, it's, that's, like, the yeah. best, you know? Yeah, no, it's amazing. She gets to do that all the time. Yeah, I love what I do. So any anyone that, like, stands out? I mean, the one that really came to mind this morning actually was a reflection. One of my very earliest coaching clients originally came to me because uh, he was having a hard time with his boss. And we ended up doing work both in how to get along with his boss, but help figure out what he wanted to do with the next phase of his career. And... Uh, he ended up starting a company. Oh, wow. And I was doing some other work for that company, and I spoke to a very junior person in that company, totally unrelated matter. And he mentioned, oh, my gosh, the CEO of this company is so amazing. And I came here because this work is, like, world-changing. And his vision is so powerful, and the culture he's created is so powerful. Like, I will do anything to make this work. Wow. And that was like, wow. So you like put your sunglasses on and walk out of the building. I was like, oh, gosh. (laughs) You're like, I might call it a day early today. I think. It was a good day. That's amazing. No, it's amazing. And I think think it's important to, you know, everybody wants to, to, to change the world. Everybody wants to contribute. But I think oftentimes, and what I get from this is sometimes they're just scoring it wrong or they're, they're trying to like do that in the wrong way. Right. Like to some people it's start your own company. To some people it's like, man, that person is always up and smiles at me every time they came in and that made a difference. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and you just never know. I had another client today who realized, you know, who gets so upset when things didn't go the way they should. And we really spent time exploring, well, what does that matter? And, and where's your happy place? And he still cares passionately about his work. Um, and I can guarantee he's much less likely to have a heart attack now. Yeah. That, well, that's the crazy thing, too, especially amongst high performers. Is they work their whole life to get to a certain place, retire, and then die. Because yeah. they just you know didn't listen to their health and body. And How, how big of a problem in, in your um, I don't know if problem is the right word, but where does ego come in? Um, how often is, is ego the thing in the way of advancement for people? I think how other people perceive your ego is much more of a problem than your actual ego. Explain that. That's interesting. I think people that show up to others as having a massive ego are often acting from a place of insecurity and vulnerability. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's true. And I think because of the role I play, people have this space to be vulnerable and can shed their ego. So you don't see it as much as their coworkers might or their... Oh, I see. I mean, I, I oh, see, it. see it, but it's uh, my livelihood doesn't depend on your ego. So... I, I was surprised a few years ago. I think that's a great mantra for everybody, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Let me write that down real quick. If anybody's in an interview and hears that. It's true. No, it's a great point because it's like oftentimes you feel like you're you're the victim to somebody's ego or something. But uh, in a lot of ways, nobody's should. No. Right? I mean, I can't change you. However, I can change how I react and respond to you. 
Just be fluid and let it go right by. Maybe. Or maybe I do want to get upset. I mean, for some people, it's they do let it flow by and then suddenly realize they've they've let things go that they shouldn't have let go. What do you do for yourself? Do you have any like um, rituals or practices that keep you in like your peak state? Because you take on a lot. Like it's one thing to like, well, it's one thing to I have a friend who's a really good um, psychiatrist and he's an addiction and recovery specialist. And uh, I trust his opinion and I trust him completely. And so, you know, I've done, um, I don't want to call them sessions, we're friends, but that's what they are. And I leave, I'm like, dude, you're incredible. And I was like, how many of these do you do a day? And how are you still standing? You know, like, so yeah, what do do you do for for you so that you can show up the way you need to? So I wish I could say, oh, I meditate twice a day, which I used I to run do. run 20 miles. I, yeah, right. I used to do, and I have gotten really bad about. It's hard to, I mean, you're a mom and a wife yeah. and a businesswoman. Like, it's a, I got a lot on my plate. Yeah, meditate. And, and you're doing a remodel, which... I'm so jealous. We are so, in the yes. he, we are in the depth of remodel oh. despair right now. All our walls are boarded up, oh. and there's a new baby, and it's terrible. Oh. Anyway, but it's like, that, when does that fit in? When when is life ever quiet? So you know. So there's a couple things, and I and I modify. I get up really early, between five thirty and six. I insist on I read the news on my iPad with a cup of coffee. My first. 30 minutes and I don't like anyone to talk to me. All right. <laughs> you know, like, just don't leave me alone. Yep. Um, and that's just understood on the family. It's like, well, what time is it? She's got asleep. 20 Our kids minutes. are old All enough right. that they're still asleep. Yeah. But, but Dave's, but you know, well, joke, because he sometimes gets up even earlier than me and will be very chatty. And you're like, uh, what? Uh, still, still blue time in the house, still right? Still waking up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I try to work out. I'm, I probably do exercise four plus times a week. Um, yeah, in the morning. In the morning. Um, coffee, news, workout. Coffee, news, exercise. And when I'm exercising, I usually listen to audiobooks or podcasts about coaching, leadership. I love Hidden Brain from NPR. Like, it's fabulous. I've never heard that one. Oh, my gosh. It's so Hidden good. Brain? Hidden Brain. I'm going to write that down, too. Shanker to Gotham. Um, Hidden Brain Podcast. That's when I like Work Life by Adam Grant. It's another great one. I've heard of um, that one. So, uh, like, I before I connect the two, like exercising with doing like my work reading, I, I don't think I was as good of a coach because um, I just didn't have as much information. I didn't have time to read, but it's great because then I kind of knock off two things at once. Hundred um, percent. I found that I, I, I said this the other day. Tell me if you agree to one of my one of my buddies that I work with if. You have times where you're where you're on it and times where you slip a little bit. And sometimes the morning routines we set up are so like like unrealistic that it's like, hey, just do half of this. But um, I find if I'm reading or listening to content, I always have something to contribute by way of development. Like if someone's like, hey, can you speak to a group? It's like, yes, I actually my brain is on something right now that I'm listening to. So I'd love to. But if you stop, it's really hard to think of fresh new stuff. To get started again. Even though, and you're not recycling the same content, it's almost like taking in that information puts you on a wavelength where, you know what I mean? Like if people are saying like, how do you always have stuff? It's like, oh, it's just always, it comes in for 20 minutes a day. And I'm telling you, either one of the podcasts I just mentioned, if you listen to those, you know, a couple times a week, 
there's so much interesting stuff on there, uh, both about work, but also just about how the human brain works mm-hmm. and how we react to everyone. And, and it's just interesting. So you do that and then you read too, or? Um, well, no, well, so I'm listening while I'm exercising. Mm-hmm. And it depends. Right now I'm doing a couple audiobooks because I've fallen a little behind. Although it's funny, I'm I'm reading, um, oh God, what's it called? Nudge right now. Mm. And it just feels so out of date. Oh, really? It's, I don't it's know Nudge. Ethically, well, it's sort of how do you get people to make um, decisions? It's ethically out of date? Ethically. Oh, ethically. I Although ethically. ethically too, a little bit. A little really? Bit. Oh my gosh, yes. There's some stuff in there that we don't do anymore, huh? It's it's like their whole view is what do they call it? Paternalistic. Oh gosh. It's not ego. What what what? Rand Paul. What's his political party? Um, I'm looking on it. Is anyway. it? Uh, it's not independent. No, I'm blanking. libertarian. Libertarian. Yeah. So so they're arguing for paternalistic libertarianism. <laughs> pretty specific which is really specific and what they're really saying is no like let's let's nudge people in the direction to make um healthier choices for themselves wouldn't disagree with that one so it's and so it's like really basic and stuff we know now like if you walk into a cafeteria and you put the healthy food at eye level people are and put it first people will eat healthier than if you put like the French fries and Doritos and at eye level and first. Yeah, because if you're looking for Doritos, you're gonna find them no matter you're where. You're gonna they find are. the Doritos. <laughs> but but if right. you right? If you can be persuaded one way, this might help. If your plate that's this big, the first thing you put on is carrot sticks, you're not gonna have as much room, I don't know, for the French fries. Yeah. Not that there isn't room for the French fries, just that it's a different percentage of your plate. Um, things like organ donation, if mm. you opt in versus opt out. So if you think about when you get your driver's license, some states automatically say you're an organ donor and you have to uncheck the box. Yeah, I've seen that. So nudge is about the economics and psychology behind why you would choose those things Mm. to help drive behavior, which is really interesting. And yet there are some political undertones in the book that also don't, in like today's politics, feel really like, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why podcasts are so awesome. I'm, I'm listening to uh, Angela Duckworth on Dax Shepard's podcast, which is like such a oh. like an eclectic mix. You got yeah. Dax, who's just crazy and funny, and then Angela Duckworth, who's like a genius, you know? And it's almost like you get a seat at the table. If you like, get to listen, like I remember everything they've talked about in Game Can Recall It, but if I read the whole book, I might not. So I'm always like vacillating between like yeah. books, podcasts, whatever, and then I'll go on like, you know, I'm a gluttonous per my Enneagram, so I'll go on binges <laughs> for, <laughs> for, you know, and I'll listen to everything these people have done. You know what I yeah. mean? So, uh, but you find the routine helps you the show up helps better. Helps you for, show up. And look, I'm really lucky. Like, I'm in a really stable marriage. We have two really healthy kids. Um, we're financially stable, um, and so I think a lot of it is just being grateful and recognizing what I have. Yeah, that I think that's really important. And I think, honestly, anybody could probably get to that. I mean, you are lucky and stuff, but everybody in their own way. I mean, I always, we always make this comment whenever we're like the group is together and there's high performers and stuff like that, where it's like, you know, no one's really self-made, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you're working in 
2021 in America. So start there, right? Like yes. these opportunities that you have are not afforded to 90% of the population, right? Like the fact that you can earn what you're earning, I mean, it's just incredibly rare. The fact that you're healthy, the fact that like society is advanced, the fact that the product is here, the finance is here, the world is shifting. Like you're, you're at, we call it a cosmic intersection. <laughs> you just kind of happen to be standing there. Yes, you're capitalizing on it. Yeah. But there's a lot. Going yes. right. But I think capturing that mindset is so important to performance, right? Yeah. And you ask any successful person, how lucky are you? And they're all going to say, I'm really lucky. And they work really hard to create the opportunity for that luck. Mm -hmm. And they appreciate the luck that they have and then capitalize on it. You know, I don't think it's one or the other. Well, and I think as you, as you, you I mean, your world's all development, right? And, and, and performance. And so as you work on developing and performing, opportunities are presented to you that you wouldn't have seen elsewhere because you wouldn't have been in the circle, wouldn't have been qualified, wouldn't have caught it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just interesting. Like, it was funny, even like, you know, meeting the Logan family, but it's like, man, I've read Dave's stuff. We, 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 before I even knew there was like a man behind the work, we like, we're using it. And now it's like, <laughs> it's oh, cool. Thing. Now he's our friend. And yeah. it's like, that's so crazy. I'm like, but is it like, I mean, and that's, this lives up the road. We're using the stuff. We speak like it's like, it. and you so know? here, like, here's the, like, the piece of like, be curious. And then just remember, we're all just humans. We're just humans on this planet. Yeah. We all are going to do really stupid things and we all can do really great things and all at once. So let's forgive one another and appreciate one another and help each other be the best version of ourselves we can be. Yeah. And I think when you talk about showing up, um, and kind of starting with gratitude, you know, there's a lot of things that gratitude does, right? Obviously for like your feelings, your emotions and stuff like that. But one thing that I've noticed, I was doing a sales training yesterday in Arizona and we talked about the best salespeople don't push something they have to have. Like it's not, Oh heart, you need this insurance policy. You have to, or you need this car with these features. It's more like if I can put you in a situation where you can't lose, that's better than putting you in a situation where you could get something. Yeah. And I've I had this thought on gratitude and tell me what you think, but it's almost like if I can get myself to a point where I got a great wife, I got great kids, I have a place to live. I, I you know, we have food on the table. If I feel like, Hey, I can't lose. I can win really. I'm fluid. I'm relaxed. I'm calm. If I feel like if I don't make this shot, I'm going to die. You show up with a lot of tension and you know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's interesting with a lot of successful people. You say they cite their own luck mm -hmm. or they're grateful, but I think it puts you in a state to receive, right? Yeah. 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 And when someone feels anxious, we all have these things called mirror, mirror neurons. If someone's anxious you will feel their anxiety. Mirror neurons. Yeah. So, I've never heard so that before. We, if I smile, you're more likely to smile. Yeah. Right? We, we mirror each other. Mirror neurons, actually, they do these crazy tests where they have one on one side of the planet, one on another side of the planet that they've paired, and they will do, exhibit the same behavior. Um, really? I, I'm a little out of my depth here because it's physics. I'm sure. not a physicist. <laughs> Let me just go on record me. and say that like, right now. No. Like, really, I think I'm conflating two different theories. Mirror neurons are inside of our brains, which it, causes it totally us to makes sense. one yeah. another. And then there's a whole other thing where you have, you know, atoms that are connected across the planet or wherever. Um, but if you, if I'm anxious and nervous, 
I'm in a sale, I'm trying to say this, and I'm anxious and I'm nervous. And, oh, uh, you are going to feel that. You might not know why I'm anxious and nervous, but if I'm anxious and nervous, how good are you going to feel about whatever I'm trying to sell you? Anxious and nervous, probably. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, people call that energy, but I always, I've had this thought, like, because we do door-to-door sales. It is the rawest of the raw. And so you're in your world doing your workout, listening to your podcast, getting juiced up. I've been getting rejected for four hours and we meet unexpectedly. Like, yeah, yeah, think about that. And so it's funny because one of the thoughts I've always had is that people are perceivers. Like, had you walked in here today, we've never met face-to-face, and say you're in a terrible fight with your daughter, Mm -hmm. right? You would walk in, I would get off the phone, and and in my head I'd be like, what is wrong? I don't know you, I don't have any history with you, but I perceive with the millions of bits of information that are going into my head that I can't articulate that something is wrong. What is that? And then understand that that's how you show up to people, right? So like when you're on their doorstep, if you're going through some stuff, right? So do you teach any kind of like tactics and tools? Like do you have any like, like, quick reset things is that anything in your world where you can like quickly get yourself into a state to perform when things aren't going well well i mean there's all kinds of little tricks i mean if you are having a bad day first of all sometimes it might be okay just to call it (laughs) i'm having a bad day Mm -hmm. i need to go get an ice cream and come back fine little tiny ice cream you see like guys walking around the neighborhood just having some me time yeah (laughs) that's okay you know if you need quick reset for sure if you're feeling bad you know what don't knock on the next door walk around the block walk around the block call someone that makes you feel good and then knock on the next door Mm -hmm. you know take a minute in your car listen to your favorite song take a minute and you know all different kinds of breathing techniques you know can sort of like do box breathing where you breathe into the count of four, hold the count of four, let out the count of four, hold the count of four, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like um, a hard reset, right? Like a, yeah, a hard reset. You know, there's this tactic called five senses where you can't, it's hard to do all five. But you sort of just like pause and take a minute, you know, put your feet on the floor and say, okay, you know, what am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I feeling in my fingertips? What am I smelling? The fifth taste, it's a little tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Usually it's like a taste. Unless you got yourself that ice cream. Yeah, you got ice cream and you're in great shape. <laughs> but that, actually, this is great for a seven, too, because it forces you to be present. Like, in this moment, forget about the, the door I just knocked on. Forget about the door I'm about to knock on. Just feel the weight of your body in this chair. You know, what do you smell? What do you see? And, like, really think about it. Um, and then you're in this moment right here, right now. Interesting. I, I want to thank everybody for attending my personal session today, but being a seven, <laughs> like the, uh, my surf coach says, uh, like he films me. And so he sees everything. Uh-huh. Right. And, uh, Sometimes when you're serving, you got to deal with a lot. You got to deal with the weather. You got to deal with the lineup. People behave completely differently 200 yards offshore than they do when they're on the shore. Like there's a lot that you're dealing with. And then your my desire to perform and then my limited time and all this kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And he told me once, he's like, hey, when you start to feel that, and it's the same thing that makes you anxious or speak too fast or fire that email that you shouldn't fire. It's the same feeling. And uh, he's like, I need you to like face the horizon move your feet, feel your hands. Like same kind of thing where he's like, just get back to this point where it's like, Hey, I'm alive. 
I'm in the water, I'm moving. Because when you start to get deep in your zone ineffectively, I'm so mad I could punch you, right? Like you lose the feeling in your fingertips. Like, I don't know if the blood flows to the center of your body or what, but then when you're like, okay, it, it seems to pull things back. And for direct sellers or any kind of conflictive conversation or any kind of thing like that, like it's really profound because these, our teams are, you know, men and women that are out doing this, they deal with more rejection in a day than most people put themselves in a position to encounter in five years. I mean, literally you go for a seven hour day and don't have any kind of success. And a lot of times it's like, man, that was 50, 60. I mean, have you been rejected 60 times in a day? And so it's like, you need those skills to be able to be like, I mean, we have mantras, we have, I mean, you, I can't tell you how many people from like Brian Tracy's psychology of selling are walking around neighborhoods right now saying, I like myself, I like my job, I like myself, I like my job. <laughs> I've said it 10 billion times, but it's like, it's it's super high performance, high like, high like intensity. Yeah. Perf- like stuff, you know? Well, and what if the goal isn't, I want to get 10 sales this week? What if the goal is, I want to get 70 no's today? Because you know if you get 70 no's, that actually translates into two or three yeses. Mm-hmm. And what if you count the no's as wins? Yeah, like I got to get through them. We have some people that that calculate it and we'll write it down. Like, so say you make a hundred bucks for a yes and it takes you three no's to get a yes. So they'll be like one no, like 33 bucks. And they'll just like be like, cool, I'm getting paid. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's, but that's that mindset thing that differentiates while other people's shoulders are down you know, those people's shoulders are up because they're like, hey, I'm within one or two. It's going to happen right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you know for every five no's, you're going to get one yes. I can't wait to get those first five no's. Mm-hmm. can't wait. And that's about accurate. Five to ten. Yeah. I can't wait to get those ten no's because then I know I'm right around the corner from yes. Yeah. I feel like getting no's is like, you know, like now everybody wants clean shoes. But when I was a kid and you show up to school and your shoes were way too white. Oh, like, they're just the worst. So white. It's so embarrassing. Yeah, I feel like, okay, once I get a little dirt on them, then I can play. I, I feel like that. Or like when you're surfing, like once you duck dive under that first wave and you're fully wet and you're not cold anymore, it's like, all right, now I'm in. I always feel like I need to get out to the neighborhood and get some nose on me. Like my shirt's too white. Like I just need to like get, yeah, ah, I just got to get, get a little sweaty, dirty. get a little nose on me. And then, then I'm in it. Then I can go, you know? Hart, this is super fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank this you for being here. No, this is awesome. And I think um, more than just you giving of your time, it's going to be very helpful for people. And um, yeah, I appreciate you sharing with us. I appreciate your expertise. And uh, thank you guys for joining us. This has been another episode of Electric People. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.